0: Stanford. This is the Henry George Program. This is a show. Uh, I'm your host, Mark Molyneux. It's about housing, economics, policy, and more here in the Bay Area and beyond. Today in the program, we are talking to Aeson, NDI, he works in housing policy here in the Bay Area. Welcome, Aeson.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Mark.
0: Yeah. So, uh, what? Everyone has a story about what got them interested in housing and in working in the housing scene. Well, what's your story? What brought you here?
1: well um so I'm I'm actually originally from uh, from France uh, I was born in I was born in Paris but I was raised in like a small city uh, about like 60 70 miles south and uh, my parents are like uh, West African immigrants and uh, you know obviously they didn't have a lot of money at the time and so we lived in a bunch of different kinds of housing um, you know public housing subsidized housing you know quote-unquote market rate or just known as, you know, apartments and houses, and I've moved a lot in my life, I guess. Uh, you know, I moved to the States when I was 12, and I've lived in a bunch of different states uh, and different types of housing over, over time. Um, so I've lived in, like, California, New York State, Georgia, uh, Texas is where I'm mostly from, at least in the States, and so I feel like I've experienced the, the way in which, like, housing impacts people's lives, Um, directly uh, but also as like policy but like more specifically I think the thing that's gotten me into like housing policy um, as something to do for work or for 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 advocacy is around the way in which I think housing can work as a kind of like platform right Um, it could work as a way for people to um, stabilize their lives and be able to sort of build up the um, necessary like social capital educational and like actual capital in order to be able to like uh, transform and change their lives and so I've been um, working on this kind of thing for about four years now um, thinking about ways to make it easier um, for people to have access to decent, safe, affordable housing.
0: Do you feel your, your history of being in many different environments, with different kind of housing, gives you an ability to kind of compare and kind of think outside the box of this is how we do things here and...
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think absolutely. I think being an immigrant, like, automatically, like, gives me a kind of sort of outsider's perspective when it comes to housing, but I think even more than that, I've, since i moved to the U.S., I've actually never lived in anything other than market rate housing because my family was, uh, like, undocumented for a long time, and so um, because of that, I think it's gotten, it's given me kind of this mindset of, you know, uh, how do we make just cheap available housing um abundant enough to where people can come from random places in random countries and just like have access to a place to live right and also i'm ex- uh, very much interested in um the integration aspects of housing and housing policy um so when i first moved to houston texas I lived in a, like, two-bedroom apartment in Third Ward, Texas, hashtag What's Up HTX. Um, it's also the, the home of our uh, goddess empress, uh, Beyonce Knowles Carter. But um, it's, you know, it was a segregated area and I went to a segregated high school and you know my grades dropped you know from first semester to the second semester by like 20 points you know from like A's to like C's very quickly just because of the environment Um, and just the level of like um, um, other pressures that were present at that school and because of the segregated nature of the school and the fact that it lacked resources. The next year um, my family moved to another two-bedroom apartment but this one was on the mostly white west side of Houston and so I went to like a you know mixed income mixed race um, high school there where you know grades rebounded um, social activities rebounded and then I was just in a much better place um, in order for me to be able to like succeed like, academically right There's this way in which having access to, Housing in places with, you know, high opportunity, with, um, you know, better access to educational opportunities, employment opportunities, can can sort of like have these these impacts that I think make it um, easier to think of housing and integration as something outside of personal responsibility. And more of a social responsibility, something that we together have to uh, pay for and um, actively further. Where,
0: but you, you don't see it around here. Is it even feasible here? Is it possible here?
1: So I think okay. So I think I'm I'm trying to be coy, but I th- <laughs> but I think I'm, I I just need to like start saying the buzzwords. Sure. Um, so the the main reason why we have the cities that we have is because the capital structures so the access to capital um, create limits on the kind of cities that we want to have, right? And so when I keep talking about the fact that the reason why you have a San Francisco and the reason why you have a Houston, it's it has less, again, less to do with the fact that you're trying, one city is more welcoming, one city is exclusionary. It has more to do with the fact that in Houston, capital wasn't able to constrain supply, right? It's too much land it was absolutely like there were wildcatters there was a guy named george brown who decided to essentially buy a swamp and like fill it with like thousands of people right but in 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 san francisco the way development works at this point the constrained supply is assumed right that is kind of the point it's part of the reason why you're able to get the kind of returns that you're able to get on San Francisco housing, right? And so capital, like where you're actually getting the money to be able to build all uh, this housing or you're able to sort of shape your city, dictates the way in which you're going to be able to have housing models, right? Um, so, you know, not to segue too quickly into you know, uh, that recent paper from yeah. the... people. The... But, but
0: before we get into that, I guess anytime I hear the C word, mm-hmm. you know, capital, I need to kind of pick apart exactly what it means in this case, which I think okay. in this case, I, mean, I think it seems like you're describing capital as the big pool of wealth that will basically invest in places and what some people have, what some people don't. It's mm-hmm. what it's what people in poverty don't have. Yeah. And I guess the thing that, I guess... You one of the central things that I feel like always I see comes up is when you kind of conflate capital and land... Or just saying, like, you know, what are we constrained on? We're constrained on capital, such as places to build. You know, there's a, there are very different aspects to land and, and capital. Cap- no, no, absolutely. Yeah,
1: I think I think you're you're absolutely right, and I think I do need to make a distinction here. For as far as housing development, right? We're not talking about we're not talking about um, your you know your 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 crappy landlord, uh, you know, who owns like two 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 buildings or whatever. Even though he or she Are also constrained by this issue by capital. What I'm talking about is yes, the giant, the the world's giant pool of money, right? Um, And like I know a lot of people see that giant pool of money as being like a bunch of I don't know greedy, you know, people who live in Greenwich, Connecticut, and to some extent that is also true, but. You know the the greedy capital people are us.
0: It's also your mom's pension. It's your mom's pension. Yeah, it's
1: literally your you know your teacher your teacher retirement fund. It's your you know your state employee retirement fund. It's security
0: it's, for a lot of people who aren't so, bad people. It's the Canadian
1: yeah. social security system. It's the Norwegian so- sovereign wealth fund. Right. The the sources of capital are you know in a lot of ways socialized. Right. Um. You know. Are there you know pools of capital. The you know our this this fair locations endowment, for example, um, that are you know maybe sometimes more altruistic. Maybe some you know do they ask for slightly lower returns? Maybe possibly, but the global pool of money does have um, certain assumptions built in, right?
0: Yeah. It's. I mean, it's interesting. Just not to get too off on this one. Real like this week, they're talking about a lot of people are looking into investment funds that are going to make sure they don't have any money in uh, in anything with guns, for instance. Yeah. Which is like, oh, it's you know, in, there's been an idea of moving away from active investing towards the yeah. idea. Oh, there's index funds. Everyone, you throw your money in here, it grows. It just works, mm-hmm. you know. And if it if there's a certain idea that there's immorality in this. Yeah. One is if you're investing in guns, I don't like that. But another idea is what if you're investing in real estate and people are getting pushed out and it's your your money doing the work.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And the the truth is like the kind of returns that you can get in in housing vary, you know, a lot by different parts of the country and and the region, especially different kinds of of, of housing. But at least well, you know, you know, since the since the Great Financial Crisis, uh, you know, multifamily uh, commercial real estate has been one of basically the strongest investments that there are. Uh, you know, in a lot of cases, some of these uh, funds have returned, you know, uh, uh, net five, net ten uh, percent over the S and P five hundred. Um, you know, there are some REITs that are you know growing at 20, 25 percent a year, right? Again, you know, good for your grandma's retirement and everything, but those kinds of returns make the housing markets, wherever you live, really, really, really dependent on uh, gaining those kinds of returns, right? Yeah. Um, And I think that, more than anything, is what shapes... The built environment, and in, in in most cities, or at least the housing, at least the, the housing politics
0: in, in the, most cities. In the world we live in, it is both the mechanism that builds our buildings, and it's also, if you talk about even when it's not doing anything, even when buildings aren't getting built, it's still basically a big suck away from everybody. This tax, basically, <laughs> it's on everybody. Just a no, absolutely, yeah,
1: and so. It, we should we should talk about land a little bit later, but I'm just going to say one last thing really quickly on this is that you take a city you take a city like San Francisco, and let's say you know tomorrow there was some kind of housing moratorium, right? Like they couldn't build anything new in um, in in San Francisco. Um, what would happen most of the time most likely is that they would just financialize the existing housing stock it's already happening obviously right because there are constraints on construction either so- big
0: financial or just if it's your you know uncle letting out a few rooms that's mm-hmm. that's a small version of financializing the existing lack of of space
1: right I mean absolutely right and I think you know obviously a lot of organizations talk about um, uh, decommoditized housing right but I think I think what would be really interesting is like— how do we make housing a really bad investment right Yeah. and by a bad investment i mean something that returns 2% 3% 4% as opposed to something that returns 14 15 18 20
0: 25% right? we, we talk across the field so many people disagree about a lot but mm-hmm. people saying housing shouldn't be an investment that's that's a good way to kind of get everyone on the same page because it is kind of cr- it it is kind of crazy for everybody mm-hmm. that This place that everyone needs to live is considered this blue chip investment that everyone needs to make and sometimes a lot of collateral damage when you do it.
1: No, I mean, I I think absolutely. And I think the fact that, you know, people's entire net worths are wrapped up in their house will, you know, lead to, of course, you know, basically people trying to protect their their investments. Right. Yeah. And they will go to some extremes to do so. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they invested not just in, you know, a place to raise their kids. They invested in, you know, the view and the backyard and the traffic and the small town character or whatever.
0: I mean, that's the thing we it's, talk about investing in mm-hmm. a building. You could build a building in the middle of nowhere outside mm-hmm. of, you know, a farm in, in Nebraska and no one's going to invest in it because it's bad. You're it's re- a bad investment. Yeah, <laughs> you're, and you're, So it's cheap. Yeah. I mean, you're, what you really are investing in are things like location, space, neighbors, community, mm-hmm. access to different infrastructure in a place. And I think it's worth stating that, you know, when you talk about like capital is something you invest in, there's very different kinds of capital in building widgets in the middle of somewhere and buying up a location in a city like San Francisco.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I want to, you know, if again, I think we're going to talk about land, at, at least. <laughs> I, I think I already am, but yeah. Uh, I, true. Um, but I, I, I do want to talk about one small, like, I don't know, it's it's probably, a, 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 this is definitely one, like, the, the ace the and ace hot takes. Um, <laughs> um, but so, how do you buy a house? Like, or what is a house, right? like let's think about this as like both the, the 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 investment aspect of it but also let's talk about the other parts of it um, and like not to get like too into like the semiotics of housing right but like let's 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 talk about why housing or houses are dealt uh, as cherished items right you sure. raise a family in it. You decorate it. You fix it, right? You personalize it. Yeah. Um, and in a lot of ways, you start to fetishize houses, right? Yeah. You know the Victorian, right? The Painted Lady.
0: Professorville, right here in Palo Alto.
1: Pr- Professorville, the Eichlers on the Peninsula. Oh yeah. Right, and so or the you know Mies townhouses in Detroit. It becomes a it becomes a thing, right? It becomes even outside of you know, a place where you, you know, you go to sleep and, you know, you cook meals. It, can be it becomes a, a, a historical
0: site. It can be a work of art. It can right. be it, Yeah.
1: It becomes an object. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in, in, in that sense, its valuation, I think, you know, has both, you know, material considerations. Right. Uh, you know, a c- constraint on the supply of that X thing. Uh, or, uh, or um, you know, access to capital or demand for the good.
0: If you wanted to build the Painted Ladies elsewhere, that's mm-hmm. a certain amount of real, you know, work and wealth it takes, but there's something kind of special about the fact it's the Painted Ladies. It's,
1: it is the Painted Ladies. And so, like, one of the ways that I try to think about it is, you know, are, are, is housing uh, uh, oil and di- oil a sort of commodity that can be, you know, I mean, I'm sure there is some end to oil, obviously, but, you know, it's essentially something which could be produced.
0: A bunch of marginal units right? of the and same homogenous thing.
1: Exactly. And its and its price is essentially set by, you know, um, its supplier and its demand. And, you know, fluctuations, spikes are essentially controlled by... You know um, you know both you know advances in production uh, or you know obviously cartels and, and and capital deciding to constrain its supply in order to uh, maintain its price.
0: But there's kind of nice very determined curves in some fashion absolutely know. yeah
1: and but is it also diamonds right in the sense that it has sort of an intangible value right which is that you know here's this rock, there's a lot of it, obviously, the beers you know make sure to constrain and supply as much as possible, but you're getting married, and so you have to buy a diamond, yeah right. Oh, I'm an adult, so I have to buy a house, right, and so I think it's it's good to talk about housing and like that's supply and demand aspect of it, right It's good to talk about housing about it being like you know um developed to buy capital, but i think I think there's something you know, intimately human about the fact that we're willing to, you know, work our entire lives to buy a house, right?
0: It's worth it. I've heard people say, like, diamonds and gold, these are examples of bubbles. There's no reason the value should be this high, mm-hmm. except the fact we recognize it's this high and we expect it to sell for as much in the future. They're basically, they cost something because they cost something, and the fact that there is kind of a societal obligation to get a diamond. I mean, of course, you're not actually obliged to, but de facto a lot of people are, mm-hmm. yeah, that gives it a value. And look in every city in the country, can you say, oh, I'm just going to get like a single room occupancy place. This yeah. is good for me. No, you're obliged to get the white picket fence kind the of place. The white
1: picket fence, exactly. And, I, and here's the thing though, and, and again, again, this is definitely me getting a little fairly deep into my... or. I think about this way too much.
0: Uh, Don't be afraid thing. to get too hot with your hot takes. Just, <laughs> okay. just go off the end.
1: So I I, I read that uh, column, uh, the hunt in in the New York Times. This is the New York Times real estate section, and a lot of people make fun of it because it's like usually like fairly well off people who are like looking for a new apartment. And I've been reading it since you know the mid two thousands, right? And you know the usual person. You know they've tried to diversify it. You know in recent years because obviously they've they've figured out that you know it's a problem to always feature like a you know young white professional couple looking for their first house but over time i've seen the definition of a diamond a house a, a place where for people to live change right where, you know, in the mid-2000s, you know, this young professional lawyer, doctor couple, would, you know, look for a townhouse in the West Village or something like that, right, in Manhattan. And then a few years later, it was they're looking for a brownstone in, you know, brownstone Brooklyn. And then a couple years later, it's like they're looking for a flat of a brownstone in, you know, in the same-ish area. And then a few years later, it's they're looking for, you know, a two-bedroom apartment, you know, in a a fairly new building, you know, and then over time... People
0: in the same place in life, but they're just kind of getting less every time?
1: They're kind of getting less every time, but they're redefining what the, you know, what it was that they wanted in the first place, right? I, I keep thinking about that when I think about housing, especially in places like San Francisco, places like, like, um, hell, even even Palo Alto or, or, or San Jose, which is like I think, I think we're slowly but surely because the prices are going up redefining like the diamonds right we're redefining what it means to have like a home or a house right
0: two million dollars right. for a crappy little ranch house in Sunnyvale that's a <laughs> you got a good price buddy <laughs> yeah, yeah right yeah, yeah it's a
1: steal you know it was a deal it's a good investment you, know? you
0: can sell it a few years everyone's yeah. gonna love this crappy townhouse yeah. you have a crappy ranch house yeah. for two million. You're, oh, it's
1: mid-century or whatever right yeah. or it's like oh it's by one of Joseph Feigler's students or something you don't like know that, how right? lucky you are yeah, <laughs> yeah bravo you know is a good thing and i think i think i think there's something to the there's something to housing which is you know um i I think what what, something what my mother would say is um um you know there's there's a islamic word for this but it it means like uh, blessed right there's something about housing which makes it um something that people are willing i think to 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 do crazy things for right yeah um and yeah they'll take it a little less yeah they'll redefine the meaning of it or whatever but i think it still has to be in at least in their heads like a house a home right a diamond um but yeah.
0: Not to jump too far down a certain hole, but mm-hmm. I mean I I you know tend to think a lot about uh some of the work of like Fred Hirsch who defined the idea of positional goods. Mm-hmm. Of there's productive goods, there's positional goods. Productive goods, it's a bunch of widgets going out there. Positional goods, it's about how you're keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. And at a certain level, it's hard to see houses as being you know divorced from being a positional good what is what you pay for a house if it wasn't for the fact you know what other people are paying for houses
1: yeah i mean absolutely i think that's a really good way of 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 putting it um and i think there has to be that inherent value uh, set to it, both that emotional value that I was talking about but yeah, that positional, that value from other people, right, what other people think about your house and your home I wonder, you know, like, you know, go back, going back to the Hunt example of these people buying places in New York you know, the people who in the mid-2000s 2005, 2006, who you know, were buying that brown, that brownstone in in, um, in like Greenwich or whatever in Greenwich Village um what if they had bought, like, the two-bedroom, you know, apartments in, in Bushwick then, right? Like, like their friends would have deserted them, right? Yeah.
0: Remember that was, episode
1: of Sex in the City where... Um, I'm going to
0: stop right now and say no, but continue.
1: There's an episode of Sex in the City for, you know, cool listeners um, <laughs> who where Miranda's looking around for a house. And, like, she can't, you know, find anything that she likes that she can afford um, in Manhattan. And so, you know, for on a lark, Steve, the guy that she ends up marrying, uh, takes her to, like, look at a house in Brooklyn. And so, but she falls in love with the house. It's like a brownstone, and she ends up having to do a bunch of work on it. But, you know, she's having, uh, she's having um, you know, brunch or lunch or whatever, you know, the place where they always met up. And she tells him, guys... I'm moving to Brooklyn and they all like look at her like she just told them she was like joining the circus and <laughs> that uh that and she begs them will you still come and visit me, you know. Yeah. And you know, obviously this is like mid early early 2000s or yeah, I think like early 2000s. And it's just like this idea that like at that time that was basically, like, losing social value, the fact that you had to, like, go over over the bridge. And, of course, like, now, like, you know, 15 years later, you know, getting a brownstone in Brooklyn is basically, like, you know, the height of... of of cool and
0: in the sex in the city verse in Mm -hmm. the world they live in did she make a bank by that or they ever revisit this purchase i don't really know
1: (laughs) no i don't i don't think so i think there's I think in the movie they're like you know the the house is done and so they seem to be doing well yeah i can't remember i think i think steve cheats on her at some point oh i'm so sorry yeah anyway um but uh but i think the the general point i'm trying to make (laughs) Not to get too far off. But the general point I'm trying to make is that, yeah, like, I think, I think. I think we, we talk about the 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 capital aspect of it. I like talking about the capital aspect of it. We talk about the land aspect of it. We talk about the like supply and demand aspect of it. But I think there's there's the, the lizard brain aspect of, of housing that I think we should probably like also what, consider.
0: Well you say lizard, I mean I'd say it's <laughs> I was thought you are gonna say like high culture. This is kind of <laughs> yeah. I mean it is it is how people run societies and find I guess the finer things in life is partly where they live. Yeah. And I guess the question is a lot of people might look at it as very cut-and-dry economics issue and say, like, this has a lot to do with the culture of the way we live.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so, to, not to pivot too hard, but I, Please I did... pivot I did, as hard I as you want. I, I did want to talk about land for a second. Sure. Right? This, um,
0: this is a show where you always feel free to talk about <laughs> land.
1: Okay. So... I, I understand that, like you know, obviously, like there's a lot of assumptions about how, like the way that land is priced will sort of essentially determine what gets like built on top of it, and like the way that the land is priced is usually determined by, you know, whether or not that that city or that entity or that government decides to tax it at, at the at the at the right levels. And I uh, just want to give you like a little like example from 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 the um, the Houston the Houston example the Houston background. Right? Um, Houston is 600 square miles. Which like to, the entire Bay Area basically can fit inside of Houston, Texas. Like right. from like Napa, basically from Napa Valley all the way down to San Jose.
0: That's over ten times as big as downtown <laughs> San Francisco, right? Uh, or just San Francisco the city, right? Forty nine square yeah, miles. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's twelve times, twelve times yeah. as big as San Francisco. And you know, it it got that way by uh, you know annexation and growth and but uh, Houston doesn't have any natural borders. It's six hundred square miles now, but you know. And it could, you know, if they ever invented some faster car technology, it could be a thousand square miles. Like, there is literally nothing stopping it until you get to the Gulf, right? That has led to a massive devaluation of land, right? Supported by, of course, like, uh, you know, thank you, President Eisenhower, for building highways, which made it fairly easy to get through Uh, two places in in the city, right? It has a decent economy and we can talk about that but I'm trying to keep it land focused.
0: It gives people people alternatives, you know. Mm -hmm. It says, oh, you know, I can take a few extra minutes of driving And I can get much cheaper land. And you have to ask some places like the Bay Area, you know, how different is that of the alternatives of someone says, I want to drive a bit more, and we're already hitting kind of a weird limit where people are driving from Tracy every day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so then, you know, prices prices are fairly low then, right? Because there aren't any sort of, like, natural sort of borders. And the government in Texas and in Houston is not going to... really price loans, right? I mean, property taxes in Texas are higher than they are in California just because there isn't a state income tax there. But in California, there actually are some natural, like, limits to uh, growth, right? In places where there aren't limits to growth, a lot of times the prices are cheaper, I mean, just by the nature of the places that they're in right i understand obviously everyone knows that los angeles is 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 expensive obviously i mean i think it's fair to say but like what i think it isn't really jibed on is that you know by california standards there are parts of los angeles that are maybe like they're cheaper than fresno right like if you want to go live in in, in uh, san pedro or in um you know, uh, just south of uh, just south of downtown, um, you know, you might actually get places that are cheaper than the Central Valley. There's an abundance. There's an actual abundance of uh, of land in a lot of these places, but the problem is, and I'm sure everyone knows, is that the land is very terribly priced. Right? It it has a very very high like. You know transactional price but for the cities themselves there is no real money to be made from using it to house people right
0: yeah it's it's it's, <laughs> it's it remains to be a good investment if you want to buy the land it's a great thing to buy but when you buy it to make the money you know what are you investing in and what do you get as a result you're not basically helping the city stay solvent in a lot of ways
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And so, what instead you do you do build is strip malls, like you know, and commercial centers, and car washes, and parking lots, and parking garages, right? Um, And you end up with a city, you know, with like you know, pretty decent, pretty decent, pretty decent tax revenue, but you know, a constraint on 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 housing i mean i'm sure you know this is this is probably part of housing advocate lore but there was that one plan from um, i think it was like 1960 or whatever that plan for 10 million residents in in um in uh, in los angeles right yeah um you know just based on pure like land capacity you know at even like you know you could 1920s, do it, it could do it in theory. Yeah. right 10 million people there are 4 million people uh, just for just reference there are 4 million people in los angeles now um and at least according to the post i think it was like post 1970s uh plan uh, general plan in los angeles the city now has a plan capacity of 3.5 million <laughs> residents now of course there's like where do the where do the extra half million people live well, the building's already there, so they didn't tear them down. Like, the buildings that they built in the 20s are still there. You can put a few granny units in. <laughs> yeah, you can squeeze you, a few, you know. Yeah. But at least what's allowed now, right, is yeah. based on the current L.A. general plan.
0: Within the assumptions they're giving on what is possible, which what is... What
1: is possible. It's completely constrained, right? Yeah. And so I think, I think, like, when we're talking about, you know, undoing Prop 13, we're talking about, like, really trying to... You know, uh, tax land in a way that that leads to the, its highest and best use. Yeah, I think we also need to talk about what are th- what are the other constraints on that land that lead to the lowest and worst uses for it you know
0: and how and if you were to to outline everything here you're touching on not only basically dry policies and incentives but also culture mm-hmm. and also all sorts of well, what would you say if you had to look at all the things it's up against for us not to call defeatism on on all this not mm-hmm. to say we're we're defeated no no chance
1: no, like, what should we do? What can we do <laughs> well, is what, what you're saying? What can
0: we do? And, like, <laughs> why should we have hope and not just say, oh, you know, for all these reasons, you know, a, a better world in which cities work for everybody is impossible. How can mm-hmm. we say they are possible?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, the biggest unrealized factor in all of this is the fact that housing has a missing component, at least the way it exists now right which is that the public sector has almost entirely um uh, stepped back from its role in the housing development business and the housing ownership business right yeah and on top of that it has allowed for a kind of you know rapacious you know element to uh um uh come into its cities and control its land use and development policies, right? Um, I mean
0: analogous to a public option in healthcare, it's something it's an alternative if everything else is broken, you at least have some other hope out there. And I absolutely. mean and and as far as public housing in the US, that really ceases to be a hope. There's no real you know the the capacity doesn't keep up. You know there's no absolutely yeah.
1: there's there's actually a, you know there's a law in the books that caps the number of new uh, uh, public housing units. Uh, it's called the Fairfield Amendment, uh, and it was uh, passed during the um, the the great you know uh, welfare reforming '90s, where there is actually a law against adding new public housing units. Right, directly, feder- directly, federally owned housing units. Right, and
0: what was the what was the rationale when they put these well, on the book Because
1: these were failures. Yeah, right? that's what that's that's what they said. Uh, public housing failed. Right? Look
0: at look at St. Louis. Look at Chicago. It can't be done. It we tried. Done. Great you experiment. Know? Let's give up.
1: Yeah. Right. Remember. Remember when we did? You know. Remember when we tried? Yeah. We tried so hard. Yeah, it was a, um,
0: the, 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 the great, exper- we, the we noble did, experiment.
1: The noble experiment. We, you know, we, we, we provided services, we provided employment, uh, we we uh, we we built the the public housing units to the highest and 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 best specs. We didn't make we many sure mistakes. It
0: was <gasps>
1: <laughs> you know, it, it yeah, was,
0: you put it them was, in the right places, made know. made everything work, funded yeah. them adequately, yeah. and just maintain them yeah, consistently over yeah.
1: time. You know, we made sure to have you know when post-industrialization happened, we made sure to have some kind of income support to come in for people. You know, we we you know
0: we we did everything we took right. Took a good shot at it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we took a good
1: shot at it. You know, um, and so I think I think I think what is missing actually is sort of a, a, a full like realization or at least a, a an investment in right um, housing. Um, by public entities so, and or by communities themselves right
0: so let 's pivot uh this we are recording this on the seventh of April twenty eighteen This just dropped uh two th- two days ago, right mm-hmm. yeah, this is uh the people 's policy project it 's a paper by Peter Gowan and Ryan Cooper. Uh, social housing United States and this is basically a big policy paper everyone's anticipating for a while mm-hmm. about just saying let's look around the world at where social housing has shown some you know, good amount of success and let's look at what it could take to make this possible in the US because I mean this is something a lot of people are saying we need to kind of Put back in our Overton window, mm-hmm. social housing needs to be an option. So, yeah. So uh, you said you you read this. What, what do you think about this?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's a really great contribution to the you know to the discourse, right? Um, and I think they uh, very deliberately put forward a vision for social housing that skips a lot of the arguments that you usually hear against social housing or public housing. Um, I think so. Number one it doesn't require much public support. Uh, I mean, in in pure funds, right? A lot of the models that they're putting forward are mostly self-funded, right? Mm -hmm. Usually either by leveraging, um, you know, uh, public land usage, um, by uh, making sure that cost subsidization levels um, are high enough to where you can get, you know, at-cost rents, um, and making sure that it uses the current financial systems assumptions for the construction of housing, so it doesn't require you know the you know a brand new housing building department or anything mm-hmm. like that. It just uses the current exas- uh, uh, existing system, and you know to bring it back to analogize it to healthcare, changes the payer. Yeah. Right. changes the borrower, right?
0: I, I, I was changes not changes
1: the the developer.
0: I did not know what to expect here because I know that you know Matt Brainig is involved with the project and he's a person saying like a lot of times you hear him say something like, "Oh, in principle, mm-hmm. you could build all the housing if you just take the stuff and build the stuff. You can yeah. build a library next door. You can build public housing." Yeah. And I mean, I think this is very much of not just some utopian mm-hmm. way of just saying this is very this is very practical. Yeah, this
1: is a very practical plan. I think so. Second, I think what the 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 plan also does is that it completely skips the conversation around um, current housing, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't um, try to address uh, all of housing's problems, right? And I know we just spent you know a good amount of time just going over all the different ways, the different uh, systems that that bear on the housing. Uh, issue, it simply tried to like fix one specific problem, which is that housing production is currently driven by a system which necessarily makes it expensive, right? Or more expensive than it can be. And so, how do we fix that one problem? And I think that like th- this paper, I think does does that in a really good way. Now, um, you know, I I, I do have. I think it has some shortcomings, and I think we should maybe talk about some of them.
0: Maybe, Yagis, first, just going to be the structure of this. It kind of starts off saying, let's look at how housing works today. Let's look at the basic things we do to try to create more affordable housing mm-hmm. we can either look at pure liberalization techniques of just removing restrictions on housing and letting mm-hmm. supply work you can look at strategies to have uh, either uh things being built through like light tech tax incentives mm-hmm. you can look at having inclusionary zoning where new development has inclusionary zoning and it, it just says that you know these for different reasons should be taken to say they w- they will not offer as much as we can see that actually true social housing is offered in other parts of of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess in some ways they are social housing, but they did comparisons to three major areas. They
1: I'm, that's actually I think one of the shortcomings. I think I think they could I think they could have skipped that literary review or, of, of the that places? literature review. No, not not of the other places. Oh, at the, I the think, beginning. I think that's that. I mean, that's. I feel like that's the backbone of that of that paper. There's Sweden, yeah. Germany, the Finland, the, uh, Finland uh, examples. I think are uh, it was actually Vienna. Austria, yeah, Vienna, sorry, Vienna. Um, but uh, but I think those are I think those are the backbone of that paper. I agree. I think the you know uh, the, uh, the 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 shots at the beginning I think are are unnecessary. I, I, it's, I, honestly, it's usually but that's just me. It's a
0: very <laughs> they, they, a few times in here they have a very loaded, controversial statement, but they have a citation to mm-hmm. some sort of like news article, some news
1: article or like some paper or something. Yeah, yeah I, I, don't, I don't I don't think I, I just didn't think it was necessary just because because this is. This gets to a broader point, and I think we talked about it a little bit earlier before we got on the before we got on the show. Is that when you when you exist in in in, in this current sort of um, economic system, um, and you're constrained by you know law and you know uh, alienation and various other issues. There is a desire to try to fix the problem with whatever means you believe are available or doable,
0: right? Yeah, if every, if if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail.
1: Well, also, more that...
0: If, if, you, more that if you don't have power tools, you know, you're going to make do with analog tools?
1: Well, you will do with what you can, right? Yeah. So, essentially, it's one of those things where there are a lot of people drowning, right? And are there? Well, well in housing. I'm saying this is I'm I'm making a metaphor. Okay, okay. I'm
0: on. <laughs> I'm I was one, lost for a second there. Okay. I'm doing
1: one of the metaphors. <laughs> nice. Okay, I'll make a note. Uh, so I'm saying there are a lot of people drowning, right? Like does you imagine a bunch of people drowning, right? Scary. Yeah. And you know, you're on the beach and you're trying to figure out like how do I save people, right? And so, in, in some cases, it's like, well, I could swim out and I could try and, like, get one or two people and, like, try to bring them back to shore and I'll keep doing it until I get tired. I think in some ways, there's, like, well, I've got a bunch of, like, you know, beach wood or whatever. I can make some rafts and go grab as many people as I can, right? And I think a lot of times, the solutions that are proposed by people, um, land use liberalization, inclusionary zoning, um what was the other the uh the light, the tech, light tech yeah light tech like investor driven affordable housing production i think those are the Beechwood right it's like what people do when they feel like you know they just have to do something or they feel like this this is a kind of there is a um there's an immediate need that needs to be or, or an immediate solution that they feel like they is reachable. It's However, the best option
0: of A, B, or C. Let's let's ignore anything else, but A, B, and C, let's go for B. This is a pretty good option. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I think I think one of the consistent tensions between, you know, liberals or liberalism or neoliberalism and versus like, you know, the left or leftist politics or anything like that is that a lot of the times, those constraints, the fact that I'm on a beach, the fact that there's only beach wood around me, are seen as de rigueur. This is the world that I live in. Somehow I'm on this beach. Somehow there's only beach wood around me. Yeah, I think that's sort of the, the liberal view. I think what the neoliberal view would be is that there is only beach wood. Right? The,
0: key, the key is making marginally more, more only, beach wood to be <laughs> exactly. on our beaches. And then we'll save it's, more people.
1: Exactly. I think what a left perspective or a perspective where you're thinking about you know how do i save not just these few people that i can is how do i save everybody i think they will ask why are they drowning right Mm. like why are they like why are they drowning in the first place who the hell tossed them over a boat yeah (laughs) like what happened yeah right and then you try to try to figure out ways like how do you fix that problem right and the thing is i don't think that those two issues a lot of times have to actually uh collide i think we can figure out how do we f- make sure that people don't end up drowning constantly <laughs>
0: It, I mean, it feels while there a... are
1: people who are like trying to like build a, a few rafts here and there yeah and i and, know you know i have heard the arguments where oh well you know the problem with the rafts is that people think there's going to be rafts and so therefore they're never going to actually figure out ways to not you know what i mean it's like a it anti-raft
0: acceleration <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly yeah
0: <laughs> it will i mean
1: <laughs> sorry that's <laughs> just good yeah, <laughs> anti stuff.
0: That's good. Those people are nuts. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, we need to get rid of lifeguards. We become amazing swimmers. I know, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. So I think I think I think I think there's a way in which like this literature review in this paper could have just been. Here is here, here here are the terrible options that we all have to deal with right now. Yeah, right.
0: Draw your own conclusions. Draw your own. If you love conclusions. them, it's, y- they're yeah.
1: terrible. But we all have to deal with them, right? Yeah. Like, this is this is the options that we have. Sure. However, let me lead you to a better place. Like, here, here are ways in which we can actually, like, stop this problem from continually happening to people, right? I which int- is by offering housing that the people together paid for.
0: And I think the second section about, you know, looking at Sweden, Helsinki mm-hmm. and Vienna. Yeah. I mean, let you know that this isn't just dancing in some, you know, ivory tower head. You know, these are actual things that, that work. have happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Really work. Um, you know, I gotta, I gotta, be, I gotta be, I gotta be honest with you here. I, I thought that, um, <laughs> I thought that the three examples were great but man, do I wish they hadn't done Sweden. <laughs> like, because you know Sweden I mean? is the whipping boy? But yeah, though, it just... just is. Like, it just is. But I thought actually the Sweden, I, you know, I, I, I thought that the they... Vienna one was going to be the most interesting. Yeah. I, I, by the way, there's a small part of the paper where it's like, uh, you know, even, you know, even though there were some, 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 uh, some issues from 39 to 45. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but, uh, no, the the Swedish part actually was actually really interesting, where the government overbuilt housing, and I thought that was, like, I it's thought a, that was really It's an interesting right? story. And I thought they, that was great.
0: They, they said that because there's this big glut of baby boomers, it's like, well, either you're going to be living with your parents or we're going to have to build the housing for you. Gosh darn it, we're going to build the housing for you. Look mm-hmm. at the Bay Area. Every single person who's, like, in their 20s is, like, living with their parents still. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, the Bay Area is like, Sorry, <laughs> we're not going to help you here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: you got to go go <laughs> live somewhere else. Go try go, or wait until I die or until I die. You know, this yeah. is also hard, hardcore Asen Asen um Asen hot take here um is like I really think there's there's a there is probably like some weird like death cult thing that happens somewhere in like the in the uh Santa Cruz mountain range or something because I'm like how long do you think you're going to, like, we're all going to live? Like, you know, Is <laughs> like, it... how long do they all think people live? Because yeah. when you go to some of these meetings like I live in the South Bay I I live in San Jose but like you know I I do housing policy for a living and so I end up at a lot of
0: wild meetings Palo Alto (laughs) City Council it is all 80 year olds Mm -hmm. just you know like this is the worst example of ruining my my neighborhood like this thing they're gonna die before this thing's built you know
1: you know sometimes I really think that like you know I I go to some of the meetings you're Oliver Oliver and some of my uh, uh, friends were like all involved in trying to make this like this one project happen and the whole time I'm like half of the people who spoke here <laughs> are not going to be here when this project yeah. actually like yeah. comes online and it's just, I'm just thinking, you know, like, anyway, whatever. That, that's a very much a sidebar. But, okay, back to the paper. <laughs> I mean, I think it think has to
0: do with something. There's a certain level of a lack of empathy that has created this mess that yeah. self-selects for the mess, and the people who come over to really fight for it, I think are so solipsistic, they literally believe they're immortal.
1: Yeah. Right? No, I mean, I, I'm i telling you, like, I think there's totally, like, a death cult going around yeah. somewhere where people are, like, you know, praying to the, you know... The, the... the gods of Theranos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and j- yeah, just just somehow drinking the elixir of life or something—I don't know, man. But
0: by, by the same token, you're saying that it's unfortunate Sweden's on because Sweden ha- is like yeah, just
1: the—it's a, a, a whipping boy. Yeah. But you know what? I wish you know this is one of the, again. Here's the thing about having actually like uh, uh, lived in Europe and uh, you know having family like like sprawled out across the f- you know f- three continents. Yeah, is that you you. You get the sense that uh um there are limits to, you know, utopian solutions, right? And sure. one of the one of the things that I kinda wish they'd grappled with in the paper is, you know, you know, Red Vienna. Red Vienna is great. But also looking at like Cologne or looking at, you know, uh, Lyon or looking at, you know, um you know post uh uh post reunification Berlin where you're dealing with, you know, like a lot of like post-industrial problems, the same way that you usually have to deal with post-industrial problems. You got a lot of immigrants, you know, from like wherever, th- uh, the Africa, North Africa, uh, Middle East, uh, uh, Eastern Europe, and then you still end up with like a housing constraint, right? And because of the places that they're in and the cities that they're in, there isn't really much of a social housing program that that is able to actually deal with this like new um, this new system. Right. Um, And I think that's a really I think that's a really it it would have been a deeper analysis to look at the ways in which these kinds of programs or or systems um, can 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 still fail in a way, and try to look at ways to, like, sort of mitigate that, right? Sure. Because here's the thing about those places. Um, Somebody made a point, and I gotta say, I I hate this point. It's my least favorite. It's my, it's I I call it, like, Wikipedia research. It's the freaking worst. Oh, and I don't just mean, like, Wikipedia research isn't like, oh, and then I, I cited it by going on Wikipedia, but it's where you use a table from Wikipedia and, like, you start making, like, wild uh, assumptions based on it uh, where they looked at the population um in vienna um in 1910 this is a very famous writer who writes for a very famous website
0: okay um uh, is that all you're gonna say or should we know more
1: i mean you know i'm just saying okay <laughs> people should know who i'm talking about
0: i feel dumb now
1: anyway a very <laughs> famous writer who writes for a very famous website who said? You know, the Vienna's uh, 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 population peaked in 1910, and uh, you know they've only, you know, it it finally went up in the in the 1990s, um, and there is now finally like growing at regular levels. The whole I'm thinking, huh. It's almost like there were some confounding variables yeah. <laughs> here or there <laughs> that might have possibly po- potentially affected uh, <laughs> the population of Vienna yeah. from 1910 uh, to now, right?
0: Let's look. At, let's look at. I think it's just, just you know, uh, take calculus. You have to do derivatives of just the smooth curve that's <laughs> yeah, happened yeah, in Europe yeah. in that time.
1: Exactly. It's been just a fairly static uh, population basically from 1910.
0: Of course, you but, know, there's there's things rise and fall with tides, but you know, yeah, things are mostly continuous.
1: But there's 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 a there's a point that he was this person was making that I think we should grapple with, which is that you know you look at. Um, uh, Berkeley's uh population in 1950 was about 100,000. Yeah. Uh Berkeley's population in 2010 was about 100 100,000. Yeah. Uh that's 60 years with mostly with a population where it went down, it went down to I think like I don't remember it was like 80 85,000 and then it went back up like you know, especially in the last 20 years or so it's gone up a lot, right? Up to hundred thousand, but here is the thing: like Berkeley has some of the best demolition controls in the country, right? Yeah, and so it's not like as if there was a lo- much loss in um, housing stock, right? Um, but the thing that changed between now and nineteen sixty or nineteen fifty is that like families changed, right? People changed, right? Yeah, and so you now need more houses and places for people to live than you used to right
0: is, is this a story of like a you know used to be a family home and now it's one old hippie living there that's retired for the last 20 years or
1: i think it's partly that yeah but i think it's also partly the fact that like you know I, i'm not gonna ask you how old you are but like you know you got kids
0: uh, I, I i don't but i am 32 right yeah you know
1: i'm i'm 30 yeah no kids yeah you know yeah uh and uh you know, 32-year-old you in 1950 and 32-year-old me I'm gonna say 1966 just so I can get past the Voting Rights Act but uh but uh I would have said you know like we'd be married with a couple of kids by now right and we'd be living in like a two-bedroom flat in Berkeley or something right as opposed to you know having like one-bedroom apartments and having one single household in in that right my
0: my younger sister is expecting a kid right now. She lives in mm-hmm. Columbus, Ohio. $180,000 for a home. It feels like, oh, yeah, that's how normal Girl, people Columbus. are. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah it, I it's, love Columbus.
1: Columbus is great. Yeah, I mean, um, it's,
0: it gives people, if it's young people who feel like they have opportunity and are like adults, there's a weird feeling around here that, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's like, oh, you're not, you're basically like you're a 17-year-old who yeah. happens to be in your 30s. Yeah, no,
1: yeah. I mean, absolutely. It was, um i was talking to uh uh my not my bartender but a bartender yesterday <laughs> you have a um, private bartender <laughs> yeah my my private home bartender I was looking to a bartender yesterday and uh she was talking about how she just gotten engaged and you know uh, this other bar patron was like oh well, when are you guys having babies and it's like well you know we live in a you know we live in a um we live in a one bedroom right now we're paying twenty five hundred dollars And she's a bartender, and her partner's a bartender. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're paying a lot of money for rent. And so, you know, if they have a kid, they're like, well, you know, we're going to have to get a second bedroom. And, you know, of course, people can raise families and, like, one-bedroom apartments. And, you know, it's not not insane. I'm not saying that. You can, yeah. You can. It's not Not a Not many people. Not Less people people do. do. Fewer people do than they used to. But, yeah, Yeah. you you still can. But, uh, you know, I was listening to that conversation and she was talking about how, oh, well, but the, her her future mother-in-law totally wants, like, grandkids or whatever. And she was saying, so are you going to pay for the second bedroom? Yeah. And it's, I don't know, you know, it's such a, <laughs> you know, I, not to be, like, overly, like, weirdly natalist about all this stuff or whatever, but I think there's something about the fact that, you know, you have, you know, a generation of people who, you know, I I mean, I I, I believe are probably, you know, as, as a cohort the luckiest generation in the history of the United States who are doing everything they can to keep essentially the existing present generation from being able to, like, find places to live, but also are keeping new people from other countries and other states from being able to come here and live. At the same time, the the people who are, you know, getting to that age are talking about, you know, delaying, you know, life events. Yeah. Delaying, like, you know, having children because, like, they feel constrained by housing, right?
0: These are the people, like, millennials, I I mean, these are the people who, when they graduated from college, had the worst job market in Mm -hmm. recent memory. A lot of them just had this weird feeling of hopelessness. They'll never get a job that lets them be an adult. They're either working these incredibly... You know, kind of precarious, demeaning jobs. Mm-hmm. Some like can't even find like volunteer work to do. <laughs> it's like it was yeah. like, oh, that's good. That's good resume material. Oh yeah, yeah. And
1: no, <laughs> no I I graduated college in two thousand and nine. It was a uh, was. I think like five hundred thousand people lost their job the month I graduated. Yeah, so <laughs> it was it was crazy. Yeah, but uh, but uh, yeah, but I, I, I do want to talk about the social the, the the social housing aspect of it. Sure, yeah, that yeah. that's what Sorry, we're talking I, about. I just I, I do I do want to say like one thing about this thing, which is that you know I the the part that I think needs to be focused on the most is this appendix, um, in the paper. I you know the paper is long as hell. Yeah. You just tell everybody like don't, this is not one of your like. Twitter uh, you know, uh, Twitter pictures or whatever. Well,
0: let's power through in like two minutes and talk about what else is in there. Yeah. Uh, so, I guess, when you talk about the different cities, I think <clears throat> one thing they really drive in is the fact that these are pu- social housing things that did not suffer from class segregation. Absolutely, yeah. In which I think you look at the failures in America, the failures in London, as we saw by the fire last summer. Right. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's uh, definitely when it is how do we get a bunch of those people out of the way, you tend not to have very viable... Livable options for these people, and and when you have say, oh, this is for everybody, this is for our children, Mm -hmm. it should be good, and I would want to live there. You tend to get good things. You have less means testing here, yeah. And there's a lot of things going that really make this work.
1: Yeah, no, um, you know, poor programs are poor programs, right? Uh, and universal programs are usually universally beloved
0: right? yeah.
1: and so <laughs> I think it's important like I think that the point that they make that this is available to anybody to mm-hmm. anyone in, in these uh, in that city or in that country you know really drives home the point that like if we if we got some buy-in from higher income folks in this like social housing aspect of it but you know you'd get not just you know You'd, you'd get around some of the issues that happen in public housing, but I think you also get around, um, you also get around this uh, this problem where, you know, you know, poor people have like less social capital. Right. Yeah. And so now if you can get some people with a lot of, you know, social and political capital, uh, uh, capital and power um, to advocate for a social housing system, you know it scrambles the dynamics right it changes the way in which uh the 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 way in which we um, uh, fund yeah uh, social housing
0: then the next section uh, yeah. of this is talking about basically what are other ways we can basically address this and they talk a lot about basically instead of the old issue instead of policies will go through the state, having a lot more federal to municipal mm-hmm. uh funding options, having a lot of municipal areas just do it themselves, and,
1: yeah th- I thought that was brilliant yeah um and the actually the two cities that they uh that they uh that they use as examples for why it needs to be a municipal uh program, I thought that was really good, and they were talking about Houston and uh Houston and Jackson, Mississippi yeah um and I think they're they're both right they were saying that basically if you make it a state program. Uh, or a federal program you know you're liable to de- have to deal with like different administrations for the federal at the federal system and then you know have to deal with red states um in um at, at the state level and then just doing it for- at the city at the city level actually you know uh, gets at these uh social investment goals. I thought it was interesting that they picked those two cities because both cities are, you know, they have a large... Uh, for Jackson, Jackson, Mississippi, it's a large African-American population, and then Houston, it's, like, just over overall a large uh, minority population. And just, like, the idea that, you know, the city would collectively invest in that community, and that community being a, you know, majority-minority uh, population means that you're essentially... Um, invest, uh, putting you know uh, capital and land, but capital in the hands of um, in the hands of of, of those communities, and it it creates a kind of like permanence. For those communities and those cities, that I think is is, has a you know, it's really great, really great model
0: as opposed to the state being opinionated about how a city should be, Mm -hmm. yeah,
1: exactly. Um, and you know, like they're they're state driven, you know, um, population uh, displacement, right? Yeah, like one of the things, you know, um, you know, this doesn't come up a lot, obviously, in, in California, though, obviously, you know, with like some state legislation and stuff that's happening people are talking about it a little bit more but you know i when i lived in the midwest i also lived in the midwest when i lived in the midwest uh, and you know you'd get all these state bills these state preemption bills um and you get these tax cuts and so like local governments would end up having to you know fund themselves in a variety of ways right and in some of those ways were like increasing user fees Increasing, you know, uh, the water bill, increasing property taxes, increasing, um, uh, you know, uh, traffic fines, yeah. parking, so on and so Fairly on. Fairly
0: regressive tax revenue schemes.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so a lot of times, like, a lot of this stuff we get enforced, right? And so the way they get enforced is either through, like, incarceration, but also, you know, in the case of property taxes, through eviction. Yeah. And so what you what you saw happening in Detroit and Milwaukee is that you know a lot of you know mostly black families ended up having to leave those cities because they essentially got kicked out by their by by their by their city but they got kicked out by their city because their city was so broke that yeah because their state government cut their funding right and I think I yeah. think having the housing be controlled by yeah. Like that community directly has more of an impact than having to rely on like the state government or the federal government. So, yeah. And just just I,
0: talk yeah. about, yeah, I guess the, the land value tax as far as like Detroit goes for a mm-hmm. second. There's nothing more heartbreaking to me than the fact that people living on fairly valueless land are mm-hmm. getting taxed on their home mm-hmm. and then getting foreclosed on and evicted. It's yeah, just, no. I mean, well, when like, I there's,
1: was in Detroit, it was very common that yeah. someone would be, uh, uh, liable to pay property taxes on a yearly basis that were worth more than the houses yes. like that was just normal like i'm not I'm not even you know this is not it's a,
0: a mixture of, <laughs> of i think just completely misbegotten policy that mm-hmm. you should be taxed on the the improvements of the bare minimum structure mm-hmm. you should have, and then you're getting over assessments based on a disadvantaged political community yeah yeah it's just it's an, and you know, the,
1: <laughs> and a, a lot of these uh you know a lot of these assessments were made you know during the um during the, uh, the housing bubble, right? Yeah. And so, you know, you, you let's say you, you bought a house in 2007 in Detroit and the house was maybe worth $80,000 at the time. You know, that same house six years later is worth, you know, $8,000. Yeah. But you're still paying $80,000 <laughs> a year taxes because it never really reassessed it to be fair, they're trying to fix it right now.
0: Yeah. On all deliberate speed. (laughs) With all deliberate
1: speed, yeah. Yeah,
0: so uh, just, yeah, one more thing, the second thing here is, I guess one thing you always wonder, is like, okay, we need to acquire places to, you know, to build on, and sometimes just land costs are so much, it's hard to get started. They recommend saying work with municipally owned lands Mm -hmm. because then you don't have to pay for it in the first place. And I'm wondering, is that really just skirting a really hard part of it?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I think you're hitting on some thing um that i think is gonna be uh it's a thing that i think a lot of people are already kind of globbing onto as one of the weaknesses of the paper which is that you know there 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 is a lot of public lands but what anyone who's ever looked at like a a, like a uh, a repository of uh public land holdings yeah is that Most of this land you can't actually like build on.
0: Go go north of of Death Valley. There's a lot of land in (laughs) your County. Yeah, you
1: know, there's a lot of publicly owned land. Now, of course, there's a lot of land that not only can be built on, should have been built on decades ago. Yeah, but has been, you know, held in, in you know, the death knell of nimby neighbors for, you know, for years, right? Uh, You know, like Balboa Park uh, Reservoir is. Mm. Ridiculous that this place is still like not there, there isn't like a Park Merced tower on top of that thing, right? Yeah, but um, you know, to be fair. There are limits to how many, like, good, buildable sites there are in the city that are already publicly owned, right?
0: And and it sounds like if you build on this, at a certain Mm -hmm. rate, you are left with less afterwards. Yeah. You're you're basically eating the slack you have right now.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, especially what we're seeing, at least in the South Bay, is that there are a lot of opportunities, right? But, like... You, we can start there and I, I, but I, like you said we're gonna eat into it and we're gonna run out of it at some point yeah and the truth is like you know there are limits to how much you can actually build in so, on, on some of these um, on some of these parcels just because like the cities themselves don't want to have you know a you know a uh, Vienna uh, style, you know what was the what's the pictured building called again uh, uh, off to whatever
0: <laughs> some Austrian thing yeah. yeah some
1: Austrian thing like yeah. that have that kind of building in their community so um, I think I think I think there does need to to be some discussion about you know acquiring land right and figuring out like how do you fund that acquisition I mean you're
0: scratching my itch I mean I, I feel if you don't deal with this like the yeah. way Singapore did which you're talking about earlier mm-hmm. you know it's a shame they put Sweden because Sweden is the the GOP yeah. you know caricature but the same thing it'd be funny if they put Singapore in not that they don't have their own issues mm-hmm. but because it's like oh that's a capitalist wonderland yeah. but they acquired all the oh, land yeah, owned like, by the government yeah. and, and everyone lives in public housing yeah. basically well
1: I mean well, okay so the Singapore thing I think would have been a troll okay here's 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 okay. here's my thing right I think that the Helsinki the Helsinki example is great I, and I think the Sweden example is actually really, really good. It's actually my favorite example in the paper. Yeah, it's just I hate that it's Sweden. Yeah, right? exactly. It would be great <laughs> if it's
0: like some unnamed country. Some somewhere. unnamed
1: country that yeah. decided to build a million homes for a population of eight million. Like yeah. that is so good, right? Yeah, like because you put it at a, the American scale, you know, you're talking about forty million freaking houses, right? Yeah. So, um, anyway, just.
0: But so why why would Singapore be a troll? I mean, I guess just because Sing- it's
1: Singapore. So basically, like you know, you you've been in you know, you've been in this like housing sure. discourse for 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 enough time yeah. to know that like the basically the, the four to five cities you can never like actually talk about um, when you're talking about housing policy is you know uh, it's probably a short list, but you can't talk about San Francisco because like people will like all of a sudden be you know talking about the height limits and all this other crap. You can't talk about um Singapore because like, they were literally under dictatorial rule for 40 years. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a civil liberties nightmare. It actually is deeply exclusionary towards immigrants, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's it's a place that is a mixture of the weird Tomorrowland wonderland you want to be and a kind mm-hmm. of weird dictatorship hellscape. It's it's a weird yeah. place.
1: No, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you can't talk about Sweden, uh, not just because of the GOP caricature, but because, like, everybody is like, well, Special case. you know, at the time anyway. It was, like, 98% like Sweden. Or whatever, yeah, or like you know, it's so blah blah blah, right? Yeah, and the housing is just a reflection of an already like I
0: hear know, the same country. thing about Helsinki to tell the truth, right? Like, they're all stinks, but
1: I always think that like people don't know where Helsinki is, so yeah, <laughs> it's fine. But um, I, I think there's like probably one more city that I'm like totally
0: that, that one that you, you we're not even willing to talk about that one, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, oh and I hate when people talk about Detroit. That's oh, like yeah. that's just probably more of a personal thing where I'm just like, please Oh Manhattan. That's right. Yeah. Manhattan. Where it's like we don't want Manhattan in this blah 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 yeah. in this place. Uh yeah. but I think I think the cities that I like to talk about and this is again, uh, it was more of a personal concept, but I, I, I like to talk about like um uh like settler cities or or, or cities, um cities that ha- cities that have had to sort of deal with um um Sturm drawing of, like, racial and, like, economic conflict more than I like to talk about um, you know, other cities that were built through, like, dictatorial like powers and i mean i'm including paris in this right i'm including you know berlin in this or through like imperial decree or whatever there's a certain
0: blue sky (laughs) thinking of just saying it's like yeah we could fix this all we need is an infinitely strong leader who's benevolent (laughs) is going to fix everything and then just goes back to democracy and i mean sometimes that happens you look at like feudal japan Mm -hmm. was basically overdone because the american occupation afterwards would it have worked that way if it wasn't for
1: for the fact that there, you know, I mean, it was done at gunpoint?
0: Yeah. I don't know. All these places. <laughs> would a lot of this happen without the massive disruption of World War II? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, I think the fact that we live in a time of, of peace, even though we're in an oh, endless yeah, war, it, yeah. but but even though we're in a time of relative homeland peace, mm-hmm. yeah, it makes us less amenable to certain, uh, certain ways of reform. For, yeah.
1: Yeah. But I think just like the fact that we do have to deal, you know, with a specific like racial and economic history in america yeah. right you know um I, there's uh there's like a housing organizer i think I, I can't i don't remember what city i think it was in los it's in los angeles but basically they start they start every um in los angeles or seattle but you anyway, know they start every meeting by about housing about yeah. the land or project that they're talking about by just like naming the native american tribe that lived on that land yeah before, like, settlers showed up, right? And I think it's really important to think about it in in that way a lot of times. And I want to get back to the paper, but I think it's important that, like, to acknowledge that America has a history, right? And that history is one of, you know, um, uh, in both positive and negative ways, uh, conflict, right? And so... When we're talking about land use and housing policy, I don't think we need... I don't think we we should leave that part out, the fact that this will be a site of, um, you know, class and racial conflict, right?
0: I mean, every time you own a community in like, culturally or basically just economically own a city, Mm -hmm. and if there isn't room for everybody... There, I mean, there's an original sin there of, yeah. you know, you, it, it happened because other people stole, kept it out, and that just goes on and on. And, I mean, w- w- and it really is. If you deal with how do we deal with our cities, I think it's dealing with that original sin of the fact that we are guilty <laughs> by proxy of everything bad that's happened in the history of our cities. Yeah. And, and it's not pleasant to think about.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. absolutely. I mean, you know, and, uh, you know, let's be fair, right? Like Vienna, you know, uh, some some negative history here or there, a bit, you know, yeah. just a little bit, you yeah,
0: know. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but you are you are excited, and I guess you know as we're wrapping up in the in the mm-hmm. last part of of talking about how you think the appendix here is really down to my part. Talk about why you think that. Yes.
1: Um, so the appendix, uh, you know, just a short, um, you know, reaction of it is that it it, it gives out models of uh, uh, potential uh, developments and how the economics of the cross-subsidization in those developments would work, right? I think what you hear a lot of the times when you're talking to people about the affordable housing regime that exists now is that... You have to rely on the Litec. That still by the way, still the low-income housing uh, tax credit program, uh, which is basically where like um, global capital invests in these.
0: We had an episode just like two weeks ago all about oh, Litec. So just I go go to the website, you'll see it there. Yeah. yeah.
1: So um, <laughs> that what you hear a lot of times from like the affordable housing um, world is that like the, you have to rely on tax, right? Yeah. Because without the light tax, there's no way that you could, you know, finance the development um, uh, based on the rents that will then be charged to the residents, right? Yeah,
0: right and, now it makes 90% of what we have out there in affordable housing. And so absolutely. It's like, yeah, so it's like, you know, of course it's, it's the and, only thing that's going to make it happen.
1: And that paper, like, told me what the total number was. It's like $8 billion. I had no idea. Yeah. So, bravo. Um, but, uh, but, I think, uh, but I think what this paper shows is that... There is a huge spread, right? There's a huge delta between the rents that are charged by an affordable housing program or, or development, right? Where a lot of times you're talking about, um, you know, you're talking about, you know, income qualified, uh, income based rents, right? 30% of your income usually. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Versus, you know the market rate runs for either a new development or for an older development where the rents have like stabilized or gone down over time and with the social housing program you're able to essentially build the exact same uh, type of housing right and charge rents that are high enough yeah that it makes the building sustainable yeah in some cases, profitable, but sustainable, right with very little um social support and in a lot of cases, depending on the market, yeah, you could cut the market rate rent by a third, yeah, you know, and the truth is you can cost the cut the cost of production by twenty to twenty five percent without even talking about the economies of scale of the fact that you're talking about a single. Developer,
0: yeah, right. Well, and it, so I, oh. it looks it looks across the entire spectrum of people mm-hmm. in the housing market, and said so like here is where we find different rents for everybody to go. And yeah, I mean, this is a lot different than people saying it's like, oh, the market rents are all luxury. Oh, mm-hmm. we only need afford, we only need to do affordable. I mean, there's a kind of this. The, I love the fact, that, like, the holistic picture. How mm-hmm. do we make this work for everybody? Because yeah. if you don't look at market rents, market rents are a different way of saying this is what anybody can get.
1: No, I mean, yeah. absolutely. And I think I think we should be very honest, you know, as people who want to house as many people as we as we can. I think we also have to be really honest that the affordable housing. Um, that we are getting now, yeah. the BMR units that we are getting now, are administratively um, prohibitive. Yeah, and so yes, if you're able to go through that process,
0: and, just wait twenty years or so around here.
1: Right. Yeah, but if you are able to go through that process, I you know I am for building as many houses as possible f- to house you.
0: Yeah.
1: However. I think even people whose incomes are not high enough to afford what would be the social housing uh, rent, those would be much better than the available market rate rents that they would then be forced to pay on yeah. the open market, right? And the, the hope is this would be, this supply from this kind of program would be enough that you have access to those kinds of social housing units in abundance, sure, right, um, and that it has an impact on the market rate runs, right? Yeah, the idea is that it, you know, it would be a, um, it'd be a, like a market, a market setter, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it, the it, LIBOR it, of housing or whatever.
0: I mean, everything. Yeah, everything goes into everything, and all. I mean, there's yeah. a certain there's a certain realism in the fact that. You can't just look at any specific part and pretend it's mm-hmm. anything. So we are actually desperately running out of time. What is what is your final takeaway from from all this?
1: I think I think my final takeaway from that, especially from from the um, uh, from the paper, uh, yeah. is that the government has an advantage over the private sector when it comes to housing production. Yeah. And it has access to land. It can borrow at way cheaper prices. And it can do economies of scale at, a, at the rate that a developer can, and so it can get cheaper prices. And I think um, cities should like recognize the fact that they have both the responsibility but also the opportunity to help solve the housing crisis on
0: their own. You've been in conversation with ASIN NDI about housing, about the PPP a paper on social housing, and more. You can find this episode and previous episodes online at the website seethecat.org. This is a presentation of KZSU, Stanford.